monsters, madness, and magic. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I am Justin, joined by my co-host, Daniel. Say hey, Daniel. Right here. And John. Hey, Daniel. <laughs> this is John's debut. John, say hey. hello. How's it going? And this evening, we're joined by a very special guest, game designer, the first and former CEO of Wizards of the Coast, current CEO of Hidden City Games, owner of Gen Con, Mr. Peter Atkinson. Peter, how the hell are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on your show. gum! you own Gen Con, too? <laughs> uh, last time I checked. <laughs> What's, you just got, like, the, the lean on everybody's imagination right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, oh. I wish would have been a lot nicer whenever we introduced each other. I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hardly, hardly. We're, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's quite a privilege to um, Gen Con is a wonderful show. It goes back, you know, it predates Dungeons and Dragons. That's how old it is. Wow. That's crazy. Hey, really? See, I didn't yeah. even know that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was started by the same guy, uh, Gary Gygax. Mm -hmm. only. He started Gen Con like six years before he invented Dungeons and Dragons with uh, Dave Arneson. And it was a wargaming convention back in the day. Of course, uh, it's right. funny because sometimes somebody will ask me if I started it. And I'm like, I, I, I would have been, I think, four years old. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> Very. Yeah, wow. Something like that. So, no, I didn't start it. What was it called? Wasn't it called Chainmail? Wasn't that what they were playing when that was uh, D and D? Yeah, that was uh, sort of like a fantasy miniatures game system that uh, predated Dungeons. I mean, it, Dungeons and Dragons kind of grew out of wargaming and mm -hmm. miniatures uh, gaming. That's where its roots were. And Chainmail is kind of that bridge from wargaming, which would be like Napoleon and yeah. uh, the Civil War and stuff like that, into the fantasy world. And then it went into creating your own characters and going up levels of what we know as tabletop role playing came out. But Chainmail, yeah, good. You get a geek star for that one there. <laughs> I'm like, not to pat my own back, but just go ahead and give them all to me. I just from what John and I have been talking about, yeah, we'll just, we'll just go ahead and bring them on. That's fine. I've got a portable hole full of gold stars. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better ask him your questions, Justin. Go ahead, because otherwise right. I'm just going to barrage him with stuff. All right, Peter. I guess the best place to start is the beginning. Uh, what's your nerd origin story? What sort of games, books, and films were you devouring, kid? You, well, it kind of mirrors uh, the um, uh, the Gen Con story in a sense. I started playing board games. I, I wasn't quite as young at four, four, uh, four years old, but, uh, you know, uh, tween age, started playing board games, and that was the uh, early 70s. And then uh 1978 i was at a game store looking at the newest war game and um there was this thing with a dragon on the cover uh <laughs> it was like oh that looks cool i had no <laughs> idea what role playing what dungeons and dragons was i picked it up on impulse and um devoured it and just had head over heels in love with role playing for ever since i've been playing role playing games ever and um and somewhere along the line started to decided to start a, a business uh which um wouldn't have been anything it would have been another long forgotten rpg company except i met richard garfield and he designed magic the gathering and um then things just went wacky after that yeah that's way. a funny way to put it explode <laughs> would probably be the the best term yeah explode nuclear I mean, it yeah. would dude that was like just seriously <laughs> pardon me all crass but y'all hit the gaming store shelves kind of like you remember in uh jackass when johnny knoxville dresses up like the old man he's like huh, huh, 
and the shit splatters on the wall behind him because he got that cannon. Oh wow, we don't get many jackass uh, references. Uh, that, yeah, like, that's seriously, a first for me. I, you I was must uh, be older than you look. Well, thank you. You get a gold star. <laughs> I, uh, nice. yeah, I was there. When did Magic the Gathering? Uh, I remember we launched, seeing uh, it. When 1990, 1993 is when uh, okay. uh, Magic the Gathering came out. August, I, Gen Con 1993. Ice Age was 95. That, that's about right. But I, I, yeah, sure. Because that's when yeah, I bought yeah, my starter right. box. But see, yeah. that I was 13. I was 13 when Magic the Gathering. Yeah. And I was, so I grew up in like, I grew up in as an 80s kid. You know, it was He-Man, Thundar, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoonist. And so oh, yeah. I was sure. inundated in the second edition. Yeah. And so, you know, just that the regal black covers, the backgrounds, but then the very, you know, the iconic cover art that you would see, but also in the RPG boom as it started to happen. And then once magic hit that, I was just talking with John about just that indie explosion. I mean, yeah. seriously, y'all hit the comic stores like a shotgun blast and it was nothing but indie comics and RPGs and the trading card game all in that time period. And it's really hard to explain, but th there are people who are listening now because yet the, there are like four other people that are going to be listening, <laughs> but, and, but they can relate because they're like, they're similar in age to me. And we've talked about that before, just how incredible that time period was. But I was just curious is like when it actually launched because it, it was such a blur yep. back then, but yeah, y'all. <laughs> yeah, it was it launched in 93 and uh, the big in, in from 93 to 95 was the huge growth uh, the growth spike. And then um, it kind of leveled off around 1996, 97 uh, for, for a while. And then, um, uh, and then uh, yeah, things went from there. Yeah. But y'all kept do like with magic, you had the product base. You were getting people hooked. Of course you had the perfect business like crack. You had to go and keep getting the booster cards was perfect, but you also had the background stories. You had the books, but you had just enough narrative to keep people engrossed in the story to buy more cars to read the flavor text on the cards yeah this and probably... for the record the the re the, the um, reference to crack was never part of our marketing uh, was, <laughs> i'm not saying it in a mean a, way a grassroots sort of angle we're, on the thing we're we're adults now we i it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is no offense meant uh, as much of an but... adult as i ever was yeah <laughs> I almost would say would give credit to like where people fall in love with Dark Souls now. It honestly, a lot of that would come from is that's how I a lot of the story from is just sure. reading those cards. Like found out who Urza was just by reading the flavor text. Right. Sure. I, I, yeah. Sorry, Justin, ask him again because I'm gonna keep going. It's okay. Better, it's okay. If you got something, you better jump. I gotta in. ask you. Uh, you said you uh, you had a D and D campaign title Caldea in '81, and you still play it. Uh, that's got to be some sort of record. You think? Uh, there's quite a few old timers around who've been uh, running their campaigns that long. I, I certainly am not, uh, not the only one and, um, some really, uh, important GMs out there that have done, done a lot. Um, but you know, one thing I did recently is that, uh, and thank you for the little segue opportunity here mm -hmm. is that I am now publishing a story set in Chaldea in a, as a series, like, a uh, like a narrative series, um, with Ooh. comic comic art mostly and some live action filming and oh, it is fun. a youtube channel that just launched back uh just last in december of 2020 uh worldofchaldea.com pretty cool i was going right. to ask you even later that you have to have tons of campaigns and lore built up uh it would be crazy for you not to try to write fiction or to have some kind of series, you know 
Yeah, there is kind of like this thing of like, how do I, you know, how do you take uh, something you've worked on at, for fun as like a, a, a role playing campaign and you know, do something with it? Because role playing is, I feel like a role playing campaign is art. And so many people are out there doing great art. And there there has been uh, this wonderful way of doing it, of doing streaming. And a lot of, a lot of the uh, GMs are running their campaigns online in different ways. And that's a good way of sharing your art. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few, a few GMs have you know, had the privilege of having their campaigns published as like a campaign setting, you know, whether it was TSR Watts or independently or whatever. So I'm I'm kind of following in that vein, but doing it a different way, which is just uh, publishing a comic book, comic art series with voiceover and score. It's it's um I I, I like we to were say, just talking about well. yeah we were right before you came in here. We were talking <laughs> I'm about. working on that kind of thing too, man. This is great. I love you. Please continue. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, that, that's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it, you know, but role playing is so ephemeral. You know, like we we get together and we play our campaigns, and you know, with our group, and we have these great, wonderful times. But you can never really share that with anybody else uh, until you until these um, opportunities like streaming have come along. You know, it's that oh, that time we fought the Lich Lord. You know, and so and so got stabbed in the back by a Hobbit. Whatever. You know, I mean that. That it's it's a great story for those of us who were there, but anybody else listening to it, it's kind of like, eh, okay, there you go again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a whole different world now. Being able to just 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 to just to be able to follow along with other people playing, even if you're not playing yourself, it's just so much fun to be there, experiencing it with them. The old way we did it, I had to talk about you know sharing your stories, music as a composer. I would practice started doing. 15 years has all been based on my Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And so I would, you know, write an adventure or do a campaign and I would just create albums and start selling the albums. And, you know, cause it seemed to be, I could do it quicker with music instead of actually writing it on paper, which would just be a bunch of coffee and bubble gum stained note papers and stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah, if you had told me when I was 15, that there'd be people making money streaming D and D campaign. I'd be like, no, yeah yeah i I have to admit i don't really get it like uh you know watching people play an rpg to me uh i i I just can't get into i I respect that people are doing it i get it but um i don't get it it depends uh again it depends on presentation there because some some people work and they listen to it like i (laughs) i say this personally but like at work you know listen to a podcast it helps me zone out but if there's good presentation behind good narrative or a good dungeon master, this is no offense to anybody. Don't take yeah. offense at this, but I do. I need, there are people listening to this and they might actually want to try this. I really need to hammer home. Take your time when you speak and don't say, uh, um, uh, between every word. That's just friendly advice. That That's all. Again, I'm not being mean. It that's just, hard to, it's a hard habit to break. I, yeah. I, I know it is. It really is. And that I'm trying to tread carefully. I know I'm coming across as a jackass saying it, but for, <laughs> for uh, DM, but I'm serious. For another DMs Johnny Knoxville there, reference. Here he goes. For, <laughs> I didn't mean that. But it's, roll. It, uh, seriously, take your time and just because it's part of the audio and it, it gets really distracting. Well, I, I like, there's a Jeff Grubb quote, Jeff Grubb of TSR fame, you know, once told me, you know, role-playing game is uh, 20 minutes of excitement crammed into four hours. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly. But, it. Hey, but you know, even though it's not really my thing, I respect that it's other people's things. And, it, and it's great that people are doing it and that that's become a way, a new 
aspect of the hobby. I mean, that's one thing I love about Dungeons and Dragons the, and the whole RPG community over the last, oh my gosh, how far, we, how long we've been going, you know, 40 years, 45, 50 yeah. years almost, Yeah, uh, is how this role-playing is such a big tent. I mean, so much can fit into it. And it's it's a category that keep reinventing ourselves, um, new systems and new ways to play, new audiences and, and uh, new media. Wonderful. Thank you for, I go ahead and say it collectively because I know there are people listening to this and even if they haven't thought of this, they should. But I'm going to go ahead and say thank you for the Dungeon Masters Guild and thank you for the open game life. Whatever whatever the nitpickiness is behind that, whatever went on in there and it you know, be way too long for an hour-long podcast. Regardless, thank you. Well, um, I can't take any credit for the Dungeon Masters Guild. I I had uh, sold the company before um, before I did that, but it is kind of a, an extrapolation of the uh, of the open gaming license. And if uh, you know which, them, which I you, I was involved in that. I mean, if you know them, then please extend my thanks as well as probably all the millions and millions of people <laughs> listening to this. The other four. But just if you happen to bump into a be like, hey, it was a podcast. Right, the dude sure. said thank you. Just <laughs> yeah. it it does mean a lot because now we are able to, and it is in no small part because of that, because of giving us an OGL, and yeah. then of course the DMs yeah. Guild allowing people to actually publish yeah. their campaigns so they don't have to be like me and just release music and hope nobody comes after you with a copyright claim. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was a fantastic um, uh, a sort of. Um, taking the OGL idea sort of to the next level was uh, the Dungeon Masters. In fact, um, um, I was doing a pot, a, uh, a YouTube and Twitch show called Fireside with Peter Adkiss. And in this, uh, the most recent season, I interviewed uh, a number of people who uh, who are publishing. They're called New Voices in Dungeons and Dragons was the, the theme. And it was a lot of the people who are publishing D&D stuff on that, on DM. It's a lot of fun. See what the new kids are doing. Yeah. Peter, do hey. you prefer to DM or play? Oh, that's a good question. I like both. Um, I tend to um, to, to uh, DM uh, more than I play. Um, uh, it's just kind of the way it works out, but I, I like to play too. If I'm playing, I tend to prefer to play Burning Wheel to D&D. Nice. Uh, that's my other go-to system. Uh, if I'm, uh, but yeah, I'm happy to DM. I DM, you know, it's like if I'm DMing for the public, like going at a convention or on a stream or something like that, then of course I'll I'll run D&D. At home, I go back and forth. So when, uh, I think you said it was 93 that Magic the Gathering came out? Yes. So when right. did you guys knew that y'all just knocked it out of the park? 93. Exactly. The same year. <laughs> Didn't take long at all. Yeah, no, it was uh, uh, the day uh, we launched it at Gen Con and it was in, we sold out all the product with Gen Con in 93. And I flew home and on Monday I went into uh, to Boeing and quit my job, my day job. <laughs> yeah, my, imagine being so confident that you're going to quit a day job at Boeing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> My dad was not happy with me, let me tell you. I mean, I was only, <laughs> I, I was pretty young. Yeah, I started Wizards when I was 29. And um, I remember I called my dad. He was in the Far East uh, Station of the Military. And I, I called him and said, well, I left Boeing. I you know, to go full-time with this game company I started. And, oh, he was, but Boeing, it's established. He's got a 401k plan. They got a pension plan, you know, blah, 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 you know. And I'm like, yeah, well. And so then, uh, but but they had a happy ending. I went out to uh, see him a few months later in met up with in Korea and uh, showed him Magic the Gathering. And we played it, and he's like, "All right, son, I might have made the right choice." <laughs> well, 
<laughs> Obviously, yeah, you mean yeah, got him hooked. That's what you did. I did. He was, I, I mean, won't that's... use the c word, but that's exactly what it is. Here you go, Dad. Try it. First hits for free. You know who to call. Uh, uh, that's right. He, uh, yeah. Well, he was a gamer too. I mean, I got into gaming playing war games as a child. I was playing war games with him, of course. Oh, yeah, that's sweet. Cool. I was gonna ask. So, when you play D and D, like your Caldea can't. What <laughs> is it? You play? Is it like a homebrew, or is it a hodgepodge goulash of different rule sets, or tried and oh. true red box, or you know, <laughs> what, what's your preference? Well, it's definitely it's all. Um, it's the campaign is all unique. I mean, it's a homebrew campaign. As mm-hmm. far as rules, I actually kind of uh, like to try different systems. I, f- I figure the world is the world. And a game system is simply a simulation. You know, maybe it goes back to the war gaming roots because, like, let's say, you know, I, I probably own 30 games uh, that were about World War II, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and each of these games had different rules and they played differently, but they're all simulating the same event. Right. 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 And so I kind of look at role playing as the, the world and the system can be disentangled. Mm-hmm. Now, a different system is going to make the world feel a little bit different. But I kind of think that's okay, right? So I've played, um, I've run um, almost every edition of D&D. Well, all the odd. I play the odd edition, uh, not the even. And um, uh, I've played it with Burning Wheel. I've played it with Fiasco. And, you know, so I jump around. I love doing new campaigns, especially I found Dungeon wonderful. Oh my gosh, yeah. You don't I, have to I, have anything planned. You can yeah. let them mess everything up. Yes. <laughs> That will give you just like this long laundry list of crap that you could throw at them later. I love Dungeon World for letting the players do all of my work for me. And then you can turn around and just hit them with something hardcore, you know, like you could hit them with the Warhammer fantasy game or like the Dark Heresy rule set <laughs> and just let yeah. the tears and the blood start flowing. I, I haven't tried uh, Dungeon World in Chaldea. I, I've been intrigued with it. Uh, Adam Koble's work. Really? I'm thinking like, well, hey, I got Adam to work here. Make him run it in Chaldea. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm telling you, dude, you'd love it. It's when yeah. if you find a good G and I'm and this isn't a good or bad GM in the normal sense. It's just somebody who's good with the other players. You get comfortable. Maybe that's the proper term. Just people are comfortable sitting there telling a story, but somebody who's familiar enough with the the rules of Dungeon World, how it flows, because the rules aren't necessarily important. In as much as just keeping things moving. Well, I and imagine the designer would qualify. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ought to you ought to turn him loose in Caldea and let him run around in there for yeah, a while yeah, and see yeah. what he could get into. It, it's arm. a lot of fun. Yeah, Peter. What in 1999 you sold Wizards of the Coast? Were you just ready to step away at that point? Were you not having fun? Were you just wanted to go home? <laughs> well, um, uh, it, it was a little bit, uh, several factors that all kind of um, uh, coalesced. You know, the, probably the main thing was that we had, um, the, um, you know, I, I was a very poor person when I started the company. So I had raised money to, to do all these great things by selling stock. And uh, I always also felt that um, it, it's good to give employees uh, a, um, a piece of the action as well. So we had stock options for employees. Well, as the company became very successful, um, People start, you know, getting out their calculators and realizing that they've they're they're worth a lot of money based on how much stock they have. But in a private company, you you can't take that and buy a house with it, you know. So um, the only way 
to um, help the employees and investors realize the wealth that they had accrued was to have some sort of liquidity event, business parlor. Uh, but usually that means selling the company or going public. We thought about doing, but we weren't the right type of company uh, for that or doing some sort of leverage buyout. But then, you know, so like maybe Richard and I could have bought bought everybody out but then if the company didn't do well everybody else would have gotten money and we wouldn't have so uh so, so yeah so that was that was a big part of it the other part of it was that um companies only are efficient in a certain bandwidth uh, or, or a certain range of revenue and so wizards got up to where we were efficient at games like magic the gathering and Dungeons and Dragons and Pokemon. Um, a lot of people forget we were the company that brought Pokemon trading cards out of Japan. I and, didn't forget. Um, no, we no, <laughs> we we don't forget those of That's us with my... little brothers or who play ourselves. I'm, no, I'm we... 30, so that was my yeah. that was my childhood. Right. So we had uh, we had products that had revenues, you know, anywhere from 30 million to 300 million was kind of the range of, of, of revenue for these three lines. And so if we do something else like, hey, I want to make a new board game and we'd sell like maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars of a new board game. And it's a rounding error compared to the revenue of, of the rest of the company. And so it, in terms of a business, a smart business um, sort of mindset, you don't do you. You just don't do that because it's it's not efficient. You can't do it. You can't operate these small uh, games profitably, and it's taking focus away from what's really making money. And so I I was you know it's like well this isn't fun. Like all, all I I mean I like you know like I wanted to make new games, <laughs> and I was mm -hmm. like okay what we, now we're just in this cycle of what's the next magic expansion and you know how long do we wait before we can do another edition of DD &D because that's when you make a lot of money and it's like okay at some point it's like okay i'm really happy and then you know it's like okay quit while you're ahead this is like really great this has been a fantastic run let's sell the company for a huge amount of money and then go do something else great plan <laughs> I, i've never regretted it i was really happy. i also was happy to work for hasbro for a couple of years after uh yeah. after i sold to wizards i you know it was like a wonderful opportunity like okay sure why not run a division of a multi-billion dollar public company and just see what that's like i mean it didn't take me long to figure out i didn't like it but uh it was <laughs> <laughs> you know it was really it was what an opportunity. I mean, that was like that was just like really cool to have that opportunity, do that, and then um, say, okay, did that. It's not for me. Let's. I'm on a. I'm an entrepreneur, and so then on my way out the door, I bought Gen Con, uh, which was uh, a lovely, lovely acquisition. And <laughs> that was probably a very smart decision. I uh, <laughs> looks like in hindsight, that was a very good one. Yeah, um, it really turned out to be fantastic. It was, um, I mean, it was the show was great. I always loved Gen Con. I mean, I loved Gen Con since I was a kid. I loved Gen Con. You know, I was like, you know, but again, I was from a poor family, so I never went when I was young. And I was on the West Coast, and Gen Con's in the Midwest. But I used to, like way back in the day, TSR, which owns Gen Con at the time, the original D&D uh, &D company, TSR would send out in Dragon Magazine, which was a, per a regular periodical, they would send out the event listing in the magazine. I yeah. mean, when it was, this is when Gen Con was pretty small, right? So these are all the all stuff and you reading this and you're just like oh i wish so bad i could go you know what you know you know <laughs> yeah. green one is gonna run a forgotten realms game you know and <laughs> you would 
fill in your wish list of what games you wanted to play in and you would mail them in and you have a first, second, and third choice for each time slot. I used to go through and do that, even though I know I couldn't go. I would go through and fill out the whole thing and then just, you know, throw the registration thing in the garbage. But I I had a notepad. I'd write stuff down from Dungeon that you remember that magazine also? Oh, yeah. I had Dungeon and then I'd get Dragon Magazine and I'd sit there and map out like either different quest lines that I wanted to try out or uh, different magic items that I would write down and stuff so that, you know, maybe one, cause I'm like, I'm in a poor family saying no way in hell I'm going. And it was of the devil. So right. doubly so there was no way in yeah. hell I was going to go to Gen Con <laughs> to play D and D, but I had my little notepad just in case I could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I remember the first time I finally got to go to Gen Con was in 1992 as wizards of the coast. I went there, you know, as an exhibitor uh, for, you know, before magic, we had a role-playing product and, uh, and so I loved it even when it was owned by my competitor. And so then when we got a chance to buy uh, TSR, it was like, woohoo, buying D&D. And like, oh, by the way, we're getting buying Gen Con too. That's pretty, that's really cool. <laughs> and so yeah, I love Gen Con. It's fantastic. Man, so you was... just purchased Gen Con on the way out of the door of Hasbro. That's how you came into it. Yeah, well, um, we ended up with it at, while I was CEO of Wizard of the Coast. When we acquired TSR, we ended up with Gen Con because it was part of TSR, right? Okay. So, so Gen Con was owned by Wizards of the Coast for a couple of years, uh, several years. So then when I left Wizards of the Coast, um, uh, I told my successor, I, uh, Vince Calori, who was had been my number two, my mentor really in business. I said, hey, you know, I see the writing on the wall. There are parts of this business that Hasbro is not going to want to keep because they're they're off strategy for Hasbro. They weren't off strategy for us, but they are for Hasbro. And so if 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 you hear any rumors of any divestments, be sure and let me know because you know maybe there's something here that I would be interested if they sold it. And so it was about a year later that uh, Vince called me up and told me that um, uh, there were four businesses that they were uh, divesting, and um, uh, the one that stood out for me is like, oh yeah. Gen Con, yes, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, twenty years later, that's kind of like buying it when you walk out the door. But you know, the longer story was, it was about a year later. Gotcha. What, what, uh, what games did you, before you got Mag- Wizards of the Coast when Magic came out? I had never, believe it or not, maybe I did and didn't realize it, but like, oh, we, yeah, we, we were a minuscule little uh, role playing company. Uh, we did a book that, um, that I co-authored called The Primal Order, which was about uh playing gods in role playing campaigns. Uh, but it was designed to work with existing systems instead of being a new system. And we also uh, picked up the Bard Games product line, which was a company that had been uh, sort of a mid-tier company, maybe in the late 80s, and they had gone out of business, and um, we acquired the license to put all their games back in print. So they were they were best known for Talos Lanta. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah that was didn't they did. do it? Y'all did a reissue of that not too long ago. Yeah. Someone did, didn't they? Oh, I, 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 yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> then apparently it wasn't. All right, next question, uh, dude. Thanks I'm a lot. Barely awake here. I don't... <laughs> uh, Peter, what roles do you tend to lean towards? Are you more magically inclined? Do you like to cleave heads off? What are you doing? Oh, in an RPG? Yeah, yeah I did. I mean, yeah, yeah, not cleaving heads. Character, heads Justin. Off. It's well, let's see. Yeah, I don't want to do HR. That's for sure. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I, I like the magic. You know, I like I like clever roles. You know, where you have to think and try and. I, I don't mind playing a fighter too. I, I like playing everything. Indeed, I, I I started playing D and D. My 
sort of initial like thing was like i'm gonna play every character class right that was like my and every alignment so i i love the diversity in the game i love to create a new character and try and try to think how can i make this character but i i think that's also but i do like to play gotcha did you have a big group of friends that you were playing with back in the day Oh yeah, my God! I was yeah, I was at a a small town in southeastern Washington, and we all everybody played. <laughs> we we had a big group played Chaldea because I was GMing and I loved having people over. I ran several several campaigns going at once. Players would come and go, you know. It's kind of a, um, but yeah, pop into music and sit there. Yep, I. I miss those days, man. I love them. <laughs> so to date, what is the best business advice that you've received? Oh my gosh. That you're, you're, you're making me uh, really think, cause I don't actually get business questions very often. So that's kind of cool. Um, I would say, um, uh, I like the idea of, of avoid cliches. You know, there's like these, uh, business cliches that people say, Oh, you know, like the customer is always right. Or empower. It's really important to empower your employees or, whatever it is. Okay. All these things have a gem of truth, but whenever you start managing by some sort of cliche that you've heard, then you stop thinking about what is the right just in the moment. And so there's, there's no formula for business. There is, um, uh, you know, all, all these cliches have some, you know, management advice, all management advice has a nugget of truth. So my, my advice is to take all the advice only partially take it with a grain of salt. Well, not, not just a grain of salt, but I mean, just don't, don't worship some sort of philosophy of this, right? Like don't, don't think because somebody said something that had a nice ring to it, a nice alliteration that uh, appeal to sort of a common sense part of you. Um, and that doesn't mean it's always correct, you know? So, well, it is the nature of the podcast. So I have to ask you, what are your favorite horror movies? If, if any, if you like them, Horror movies. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, actually, one of does aliens qualify as a horror? I think aliens. It absolutely so, does. Um, cool. I knew I liked you. I knew I liked this guy. <laughs> uh, I, that is, uh, yeah, both uh, the first two. I mean, after that, I went downhill, but alien. <laughs> he should have been here for and, our last podcast. <laughs> alien and aliens, I, I think, are the two, not only the two best horror movies. Two of the best movies, period, and they're and they're both really different movies too, right? I mean, oh, like, yeah. like, uh, I mean, Aliens has some of the most quotable lines ever, you know. I mean, just it has. Uh, we use Aliens to talk about what sort of comedy we want in our fantasy stories because <laughs> we don't want campy. We don't do campy fan. I mean, there's fine for there's a place for it, okay, but for Chaldea, the story we're telling. You know, we, it's a big, epic, brutal, gritty world, you know, and I, I said, you know, and somebody says, oh, there's nothing funny in it. I don't know. I said, well, watch Aliens. That's all grip. That's epic and gritty and dark. And it's funnier than hell. So, yeah. The banter between Hudson and Hicks yeah. or Hicks and Frost. Yeah. That certain character, even Vasquez And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, That's my favorite movie. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, that's excellent Mine choice. Too. Yeah, it's it's so um uh yeah that sort of banter like between the space marines and that movie is uh is to me we quote we say this is what to strive for in terms of good banter. Good answer. So while you're watching Aliens, what's your favorite thing to snack on? Favorite movie snack? Oh, favorite movie snack. Um, 
Uh, well, you know, my wife, uh, she, uh, she really uh, treats me well. She makes, she oftentimes will bring in a charcuterie. So that's, that's, that's a fancy word for and cheese and crackers board. and meat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite. That's great. But yeah. I love popcorn too. Mm. Well, what's your uh, D&D snack? Oh. Sitting around at the gaming table. What's that snack? You know, I was always partial to Doritos and Mountain Dew. See, I knew Doritos was going to be the answer. Doritos is the go-to. The family favorite. I like that's good. Nice, <laughs> yeah. conservative answer. I like that's good and respectable. Not yeah. too bold, but yeah, that I like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you know, I always say I don't start drinking while I'm DMing until the second act. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> then it'll all fall apart. That's right. The dice, if there's where it landed, it landed halfway on the counter, but it counts. <laughs> well, you know, it's the first part, you know, when you're GMing a session, you know, the, the all the, the, the stress is in the beginning, right? It's getting everything set up and a, a pacing and getting things going. And at some point, it's established a, a trajectory, you know? And then <laughs> what, what, once it's established that a direct trajectory, then then you, you start, then I'll start drinking. And then um, by the third act, you know, then then they're really ready for something crazy to happen by then. So. <laughs> Peter, I don't want to get you in trouble with your wife, and I don't have anything else for you. If you guys don't have anything else to ask Peter, well, oh, I got you. plenty for him. All right, I got a couple questions. No, boy, you hit him up, John. All right, all right. So, um, I am actually aspiring to develop games like tabletop games. I'm just curious about the process, about like how to go about getting it published, copyrighted, all that stuff. Like, what would be, what do you think would be the best route to go when it comes to publishing like a card game? Right. Well, first of all, I haven't published a game in um, about 15 years, so um, I'm a little rusty. But I think that it kind of works out the same. Um, I think fundamentally you have two paths, and one path is to make the game yourself. And um, we didn't used to have crowdsourcing, but now you can do crowdsourcing if, if you have a good social media. Uh, following and and you're willing to take take on that work um and the other is to go get a go to a publisher and get it published and the the advantages and disadvantages are uh you know if you publish it yourself then you have a lot of control you have ownership um if it becomes a big hit you have more upside perhaps uh of course if it's a flop then you probably maybe you've just you know lost your house or whatever you know <laughs> um if you uh you know if you can go to a company and get it published then you're isolated from a lot of a lot of the risk um that's involved but you're you know it's up to them if they're going to publish it or not mm -hmm. and 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 do you care what it actually ends up looking like if you you know like you yeah you have a game, you submit it to a company, and by the time it goes through their process of, of developing the game, playtesting it, and their art and graphics, you know, it's like, oh, we decided, you know, that uh, instead of this being uh, an aliens in space thing, it works better as a country western theme. And, uh, you know, I mean, like, so, you know, stuff like that can happen. So you kind of have, that's kind of the fundamental trade-off. Um, I think in terms of intellectual property, like you're talking about copyrights and stuff, um, games are hard to protect. Um, the um, uh, games, uh, is, they, they just are. Um, you can't really own the rules to a game. Uh, the, like if you copyright the rules, they, um, that does, people can just rewrite the rules, use the same rules yeah. concepts and just All rewrite right. them in their own words. And, uh, and, as long, and so there's no copyright protection. You can come up with a clever name and trademark the name uh, and and that's actually the best way to protect 
um, a game. Now, by the way, I want to say for anybody listening to this, um, this I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> just yeah, no. get your own legal advice. <laughs> uh disclaimer disclaimer i'm a I, I was a manager which means you know how much managers know about things <laughs> uh, <laughs> no but you Just are su- you are successful so you will drop nuggets of knowledge that we might be able to glean from so I'm yes gonna, exactly but there's no re like especially in this day and age and there is no reason to not just be in independent like there's no reason to not publish that's my two cents and i'm not successful well it is a I'm lot of saying, work, just do it. <laughs> it it is a lot of i mean yeah you, you know you have to figure out a plan that works for you financially too right it takes money right so if you can crowdsource it if you you know uh can get raise the resources that way it's a lot of work either way you do it you know it, but it starts of course with the game itself and is the game you know is the game a good game you know that's that's the hard question to ask yourself because you're yeah. by nature, you're biased and we're still in the play testing phases right now. With well, it, so play testing is very important. I was getting yeah. to that. Uh, and play testing by people who don't know you. It's really, yeah, good. that's, that's, that's what that's. So I actually wanted to come to Gen Con. Do you think it's going to actually happen in person this year? Gen huh? Con? What? Do you think Gen Con is going to actually well, happen? I can't this hear year? you. Like, I, I, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know what's going to happen this year. I I I think there'll be a. I think there probably will be some sort of show. I don't know if it's going to be. You know, maybe things get better in a hurry, and we can have a, something kind of like a normal show and kind of like the normal dates, or maybe uh, we have the show later in the year when things are better uh maybe it's some crazy social distance show i i don't know i i don't know what's gonna happen fortunately i, I own gen con now but i don't run it so i hired a business manager turns okay. out i wasn't actually very good at running gen con it sounds exciting <laughs> like throwing a big party for seventy thousand gamers you know uh but really it's all space planning and registration systems and hotel contracts it's actually very not really that much fun to run it it's a lot of fun to own it though. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i was too creative i'm actually a pretty young i i pride myself on being a pretty creative guy and uh you know i i was just always wanting to oh let's do a 50 foot blanket fort like no no that's it's not good <laughs> to be too creative and run gen con better I can to, see yeah yeah no don't don't be too wacky all right my turn i'm a huge nerd in case you haven't gathered that i mean i can't po- really problem. tell how tall you are with that nicely <laughs> okay you run gen con and you are responsible for me being the way that i am because of you indirectly being wizards of the coast and your involvement in this stuff that is entirely what i do with music and writing so it's, it's my fault yeah. So at Gen okay. Con, do you ever consider having live musicians, as in me, with a live interactive stage show? We have live musicians. I do that. We have live musicians all the time at Gen Con. Well, you should have me there one day. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm sure I can figure out which department you need to talk to. It's simple. Go to Facebook and click accept because I sent you the <laughs> invite right now, and we can talk about this later. Look, you have your people call me. I think this is an operations issue. Um, it, I, might, I, it, it might be. I'm going to need one if you say yes. I'm going to need a resuscitation. Next question. Would you prefer to roll under or roll over on a D20? Well, if I'm playing AD&D, there are times when you want to roll under, but usually <laughs> you want to roll over. Well, okay. I mean, it depends on your that was, set. That's fine. It was a, it, it wasn't a I trick mean, question. I'm just curious. I, I think one of the uh, you know one of the um, 
fundamental improvement, uh, improvements. Oh, that's so vain. Uh, one of the things that we did in third edition <laughs> was um, uh, tr make all the dice rolls. You always want to roll high because, you know, it's too many times. And all. I mean, I love AD&D. What's Thaco? I still run AD&D sometimes, not not very often, but I, I still do. It has a charm to it. It just never goes away. But, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, don't high or low in this. So I was going to say, if I'm a second level warrior and I'm attacking a kobold class of, let's say, five, what's my target number? Well, what's your strength and do you have a magic weapon? Well, see, it's second. And what's the armor class of the kobold? I mean, I know, I know normally it's, it's armor Thaco. class eight, I think. But, yeah, uh, but it's Thaco, so you got to subtract the five from the 19 because of a second level warrior is 14. And thank God. For yeah, OGL. but you're forgetting about the uh, weapon versus armor class to hit adjustment. See, thank you for OGL. <laughs> I get, okay, I'm sorry. Anybody else got anything? What? Is this something more important I need to talk about than Thaco in second edition <laughs> with the founder of Wizards of the Coast? I'm sorry. Was there something else? Thaco is pretty good. Just don't ask me about the surprise and initiative rules for AD. What about the surprise and initiative? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Do you know anything about the Wizards has been teasing dropping a new supplement? And Curse of Strahd is the greatest thing to come out since Ravenloft. And I was <laughs> I, like, I, I have three. I have no idea. I left. I left Hasbro in two thousand and one. That's you're break. You're breaking up. Ago. I didn't hear that. I have you don't no have no idea. I'll send you. Uh, I'll put it in chat. I'll tell you what. Okay. I'll type it in chat. N O. <laughs> <laughs> what fantasy word does that mean? I just didn't know because everybody's been chomping at that. Everybody, meaning me, wondering if it's spell jam. I don't Flip it must be like that. Thanks. All right. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I'm done harassing him, quite honestly, before I wear out my welcome. John, ask him something. Uh, I mean, what's your what's your favorite uh, what's your favorite edition of D and D? Do you think, like, as of now, what do you think is your favorite one to play, introduce people to? You know. Well, um, I think you know uh, it's good to stay with the times. So, uh, fifth edition is probably most appropriate. Um, sometimes I like to say third because my name's in the credits. Uh, sometimes I like to say AD and D. Any of the odd editions. Um, uh, AD and D because well it's so charming uh, and old school. I do think that um, uh, since you opened this can of worms, young man, I do think that uh, fifth edition is advertised to be so, you know more e easier, more accessible, blah, blah blah. And like I have players that have played a lot of sessions who still struggle with the whole spell slots rules. I mean like the, the, this idea that fifth edition is so much easier, it's it's bullshit. It's not any easier in third. But. I think it's more accessible for newbies because, like, my wife got into it. It was the first one she could ever get into. I tried getting her into 3.5, and she could not get the hang of it. We huh. tried 5th edition, and she fell in love with it. But well, All right. Maybe there's something there then. All right, guys. I all need right. to get going. All right, yeah, Thank we're you gonna, so much. We're going to let you go, man. <laughs> thank you very much. I really, seriously. Thank it you. is a lot of fun to hang out with you guys, too. Anytime. Thank you for, uh, thank you for, for all further. the advice. All right. All right. All right. Bye, World of Chaldea on YouTube. Check it out. Right, how do you spell Chaldea? Okay. Right, I'll make sure to put links and everything in the description when I post it. It's all good. There, I put it for you in the Zoom chat. Thank all you. All right, man. Thank you all so right. much, man. You take it easy, all right? All right. Take care. One. Thanks, Bye -bye, guys. Man. All right. Bye.